Welcome to Poolside Podcast. This is episode number 74, and I'm your host, Rachel Antony. Thanks for tuning in again on this lovely Tuesday morning. I am excited about this interview, which I think I say about every interview, but I love hearing everyone's stories and everyone comes from such a different point of view with different topics and different businesses. And today's guest is Spencer Kerber, and he is one of the co-founders of Bessie Box, which is a food delivery subscription service offering the highest quality locally grown organic beef. Spencer shares how his interest in sustainability and the food industry took him from his successful engineering career and led him to start Bessie. We talk about how important radical transparency is when it comes to a food business and really understanding why food is priced the way that it is. Spencer is on a mission to connect farmers directly to consumers and provide an affordable option for organic, humanely raised beef. We talk about some of the issues within the current food industry and big grocers and the money and politics that are involved with that. Um, We also talk about what Spencer has learned about farming, food, and the food business since starting this company and what he hopes to achieve with Bessie. I find food and where it comes from and how we're eating it very interesting and Spencer and I were able to have a really great conversation about it because I think once you're on the same page about food, if you really care about food, um, like Spencer mentions at the beginning of this um, interview, that we spend most of our life and big events and mostly every social event Uh, revolving around food. So having good food and knowing where it's coming from and supporting local is always important. So this is an awesome episode, especially if you are interested in food like I am. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Let's jump into it. Here is Spencer. Let us start with uh, you introducing yourself. Hey, uh, I'm Spencer Kerber. I am the founder of Bessie, or Bessie Box, and uh, I'm from Calgary. I've been here my whole life and have, I guess, more of a technical background, but recently got really excited about what I could do with food and our local economy here in Alberta. Cool. It's always good to hear Calgary natives. I'm one as well. People always are like, oh my God, you're from Calgary. So, yeah, and it's not just here too. Like some of my favorite trips, like even in Hong Kong, I find restaurant owners and, and stuff from Calgary. It's crazy how far we spread. But. Totally. <laughs> Before we get into what you do now, can you talk about what you went to school for and what your initial career path was? Yeah. So uh, I went to high school and, and school all through. Um, here in Calgary, and I ended up going to the University of Calgary in a mechanical and a petroleum engineering degree. So I was there for five years, uh, including internship, and I worked in oil across the whole province in Fort McMurray and Cold Lake and Edmonton and Calgary. And when I finally graduated, I was so excited, but it actually wasn't about my degree. I really enjoyed the problem solving of engineering, but I was looking for something that was slightly outside of the energy sector. And so I started kind of exploring different paths. And I was very lucky. I went into consulting right out of school. I worked in sustainability and in tech consulting um, for about three years. And so that took me a lot in Alberta, in, and again, through the Fort McMurray and to different oil clients, but also to New York and San Francisco and Toronto and all over the place. And it really opened my eyes to what was possible and what I could actually go and do with my career. And I could pursue my passion and kind of where I wanted to go. And so that kind of led to finally deciding, you know what, maybe I'm going to take a leap and open a business myself. Wow. Um, and so you are not currently in your full-time job. Like you've, you quit your job and you jumped into this. Oh, I am very full-time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In, in February 1st, I, uh, I left IBM. Um, so that was, 
I was doing tech consulting in artificial intelligence space, a lot of optimization and ML models, really nerdy stuff. Um, it was awesome, but I wasn't able to kind of do two things well at the same time. I could really only focus on one. And so I had the blessing from my coworkers at IBM to go and try this, this business Bessie boxed out. And, and who knows, hopefully they, they all thought it would go well. And if it crashed and burned, then I always have a pathway back. So. Right. And when was this, when did you launch your business? So I went full, I was probably doing a lot of research and studying and tinkering since December last year, but I left IBM February 1st this year in 2019. And so now it's been almost six months of, of work full time on Bessie. Some weeks are a lot better than others, but I've been enjoying it all the way through and I'm really happy and, and blessed to be able to do what I'm doing right now. Cool. That's awesome. Um, and so how did you decide to do a food delivery service? So you said you were like interested in sustainability and all of that. Was that in regards to food or did you have a side passion for food or what was the like turning point where you decided this is what you were going to do? Yeah, I, I, I don't think um, I, I never grew up even knowing what uh, the different types of engineering were or what consulting was. So I definitely would not have been able to predict that I'd be building a food delivery service even a year ago. Um, but I have always really cared about food. And this probably really took off once I became an adult and actually started eating different things, um, probably around traveling. I, I just suddenly understood the, the kind of collision between culture and food and meeting together and sharing food at the table. And so for me, one of the most powerful things in my personal personal life was just hanging out with the friends or family that I wanted to share time with. And it was always over food. Like the, some of the most, or like the most important parts of our lives, whether it's like a wedding or an anniversary, a date night, or catching up with an old friend, all these different things, they often aren't about food themselves, but they include food. And so whenever I was traveling or at these things, I was always kind of keying into like, how did the food play into it and why, uh, or what does quality or, or maybe even just interesting food bring out in those kind of communications and, and those relationships when we're together. And so I um, was working at IBM and I really wanted to, be working in food that in a way that could combine, I guess, higher quality or more interesting food stories, the narrative behind food with, uh, with sharing it with people. And it just so happened some connections kind of linked up and I had the opportunity to start seeing if I could use kind of the logistics of, of technology and the internet and e-commerce to combine that with local food systems. And out of that arose Bessie Box, which is a food delivery service, but it's not necessarily the delivery part that we're focusing on. It's more about the actual connections between the people and the relationships that we're able to, to create. Right. No, that's super important. And like you said, it's not really about the food. Like you want good food, but it is about just bringing people together. And it's always better when that food is good that's on the table between everybody. Yeah, totally. Um, and where did the name come from before we get into like where the food's coming from? Yeah. Uh, so like Bessie, the name, it, it has a bit of a bovine influence. If you kind of just said Bessie, I would maybe think like a dairy cow. Um, and, and it is related. We'll get into it. It is related to protein and to meat, but Starting out with a, a business name, I didn't want to pigeonhole myself into a specific thing. And when you tell people, hey, I'm setting up a business where you can get meat right from the farm or beef right from the farm, everyone's immediate thing is like, why aren't you calling it uh, like beefdelivery.com or something extremely literal? Um, but it didn't really ring true with what I was trying to do was bring people closer together. 
um, at the table and in their community. So naming something that was except, like extremely meditarian or something wasn't really the purpose. And I wanted to brand it around people and, and almost kind of friendship or relationship. And so having a human sounding name or, or maybe a, maybe a cow sounding name um, was more personal and more relevant for us. Right. I like it. Well, and like you said, it's always good when you're starting a business to not pigeon your hole yourself. So if you can, you can now expand and do lots of things. And it also doesn't turn people away because I feel like um, everyone is very sensitive with terms around like meat and butchering and all of that. So. Oh, totally. You know. when, when we were setting up the logos for this, it became very clear. Like I was showing examples of logos and Honestly, like I am not a designer. I, I work with friends and other people that are much better than me. But just showing some mock-ups and some examples and people are like, where's, where's the giant knives? Where's the grill? Where's the, the, the giant bullhorns or something? And in the logo, it, it was not there. And for me, I was like, no, like I've been told you don't, don't brand your food or something with something so cute or something so... I, I, I guess aggressive. I, I never wanted to make it like carnivore-y or or super red, and and I guess the feelings around those colors get a little aggressive. I wanted to to be something that was more, uh, I guess, friendly and uh, approachable. Totally. Well, and I think you've done a good job. I like the logo, and it does. It's very like just food oriented, so it could really mean a whole bunch of things. Thanks so much. Uh, it was a journey getting to it, but we're really happy with the logo. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, and have you always been supportive of local organic food, or is that something that has evolved since you've started like getting into this business and researching? Yeah, that's a uh, awesome question. I I will immediately tell you I have lived, I guess, very inexpensively as a student and as a new grad. And so I definitely wasn't the, the demographic or the person that was searching out the local or the organic label. And for me, I would go to the grocery store and see a carton of eggs. That is like the cheapest carton of eggs at like two seventy nine or $3. And then the organic eggs, and they're like a dollar to several dollars more expensive for the same amount of eggs that maybe the same size or slightly smaller. And me as a consumer, I wouldn't go and pick that local organic um, item because of the price. And now that I care a little bit more of the narrative and I have a little bit more, I guess, means to choose better food, it is something that I choose now, but it's not necessarily because it's, organic or it has that label it's more about the story of the food itself and so I, i'm a sucker for story if there's something about the food that makes it more near and dear to my heart then i will choose that option but it's definitely uh i'm still price conscious and so i would say i'm supportive of these movements but at the same time i think for them to be really impactful for I guess, organic or ethical or ecological practices to really take root and be the option for everyone. They have to be accessible from, I guess, a location standpoint, the availability in different stores, but also a price standpoint. And so I am supportive of local and organic food, but I still think that getting it to a price point that the everyday person that's still price conscious can make that decision and not just look for the, the coupon or the sticker label on the lowest price option. Totally. I am the same. Although I have been buying organic eggs for like a few years now, but it's really hard to pick up the really expensive eggs when there's the cheaper ones around. Totally. Um, there's a, there's some good research that is sponsored by the Canadian government into produce and, and, at least for Canadians and related to beef products, putting the word organic on the label is actually a negative sale factor. Uh, and the reason for that is because people see organic and they know that it's better, but the associated assumed price increase for organic is often higher than what those people think is the, the value of the better organic label 
And so they'll see organic, know that the product is likely better or more ethical, but they don't think it's worth the, the perceived price increase. So you could put something that is the same price and have organic, and it often, uh, according to this research sponsored by the Canada government, can actually negatively impact the sales for that item. Interesting. I didn't know that. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Um, when especially with meat as well, I feel like meat for some reason is always like super expensive when it's organic or natural or whatever. Um, interesting. Totally. There, and there's reasons for that, um, for sure. Good reasons. Yeah, when I, yeah, when I think <laughs> yeah. it comes down to like the education and awareness of like why it's expensive and what we're actually paying for. I just read, um, it's called The Dorito Effect, um, a book. I don't even know when it was written, but it's about just how food's been so modified nowadays. And so people should really go to like the local farmers and stuff because of like how we've evolved our food and like basically how fake most of our food is like the chicken and everything because we just want it like super cheap. And so the whole book is about how you should actually invest in like these farmers because it's much better quality and you're getting what you're should be eating. Totally. I just saved that book so I can go and get it from the library. Yeah. It's an awesome read. It's actually, <laughs> it's a little bit depressing. Cause you're just like, well, what am I supposed to eat now? Like everything they were eating is not, ideal how they've modified it so good thing that you're supporting farmers and you have somewhere to go to buy this food because <laughs> you finish the book and you're just like oh god we're all oh, gonna no. <laughs> yeah I mean you read you watch a food documentary like Food Incorporated or you read even an older book uh, I think it's called Fast Food Nation um, and they discuss kind of the supply chains and the processes behind mass producing food um, at low cost and it can get super scary it is kind of fearful and uh, <laughs> it definitely kind of makes you think twice about your food but also if that's your framework of, of thinking every time you're trying to eat something I think it would lead to quite a negative or scary lifestyle totally yeah you definitely cannot you still need to eat and you just like choose as healthy and organic food as possible but then circling back like it is very expensive so it's like something like that you're doing that makes it a little bit cheaper because you're buying it straight from the farmers um, is a good option for people to just like know that they should be buying organic but then have somewhere they actually can afford yeah. it hopefully well um maybe i should introduce like what bessie box actually is or or what we're doing and why yeah. um do. yeah <laughs> so what Bessie Box is, is it is a service that allows farmers to directly market their products to the end consumer. So um, in its current form, that's a, a direct-to-consumer model where farmers can sell their products through Bessie right to the end customer. And Bessie helps the farmer bring that product, process it, and then distribute it to the people that are purchasing that. Bessie itself, uh, we set up a relationship with the farm where we pay them a premium over the regional commodity price that they would get for those animals. We source and pick those farmers based on their qualities from an ethical, a humane, and an ecological standpoint. Um, so we do vet and QA the farms on location multiple times, and we pay them a premium for what they do because typically with at least beef markets and several other protein markets. There are auctions that are held weekly throughout the province and, and throughout different regions. And whatever the price is at that auction on that day is what price the farmer gets. Whether that farmer is extremely nice to their animals or extremely um, nonchalant about how their animals are cared for, if you show up and there's a thousand other animals being sold that day, you're typically gonna get that price that everything is going for. Um, so it kind of, it disincentivizes farmers from going up and above and doing something better with raising their animals because they still end up with the same price. And so Bessie sets up her arrangement with those farms where they get rewarded for their higher quality product. And then we manage the processing, the um, distribution and then the fulfillment to an end customer 
And what that means for the end customer is that they can get a convenient way to connect to a local farmer, get very high quality product, but it is not marked up at all of the different stages between the, uh, between the farm and the grocery store where you would buy it. And so the end consumer can get something that is extremely high quality, but it is actually the same price as what they could pick up at Safeway. And it's also delivered. So there's a lot of pluses for the customer. And Bessie is doing our best to make it as convenient and as simple and as similar to existing protein purchases so that the customer doesn't have to think twice about is this organic or is this label worth the premium? Well, we're trying to remove that premium so that it's just the easy choice, the good choice of working with local producers and purchasing higher quality stuff that is better for the environment and better for the consumer. Um, we want it to be priced as competitively as possible. Right. That's, I mean, that's an awesome initiative. And now when people can compare, because there are a few like different versions of it, I think it's um, important what you're saying that you're showcasing these farmers and allowing them to showcase what they have um, and then let the consumers get that price that's worth what the meat is for. Absolutely. So uh, I, I would, yeah, you, you directly address it. There are several people that are setting up networks where you can buy from a farm and try and um, have that connection and better quality meat. I would say we, um, you're right, we showcase our farms. All of the product that is in a box, we're not relabeling with our brand name. Um, you're going to pull that meat out of a Bessie box and it's going to have the name of the farm and it has a slip from the farmer that actually raised the, the meat that's inside the box. So. It, um, we're not trying to relabel or make it look like Bessie is owning these farms or promoting ourselves. We're promoting that farmer. And we're also, uh, we definitely make uh, an effort to make sure that their communications and any feedback that we get is going right to the farm themselves so that people can have that connection instead of us just kind of being another middleman, if that makes sense. And uh, additional to this is our price point for doing this type of service is incredibly lower than all of our competitors because we're trying to make this easy for everyone, not just for the people that are willing to pay a massive premium for the convenience of delivery. Right. Well, I think that's really important to be like transparent about it. Like it's, um, I don't want to use the word like refreshing, but that's the one that came to my mind, but that you are being transparent about that, about how much like is going towards the farmers and what's the consumers getting and kind of like where you stand in the middle of that. Yeah, I think um, there's a number of brands that do this really well. Uh, I have a friend's luxury shoe brand, uh, La Bouche, and they do this or Everlane or uh, th this idea around radical transparency and just saying like, here's the pricing for, um, what we're doing and here are the costs and this is why something costs what it does and here's what we're doing to make it as fair for the producer and as fair for the consumer as possible. Um, that's where we want to, to kind of move our, our company and, and what we're doing is, is just straight up transparent. If other people want to copy us, I mean, on one side, that would be amazing because then more people would have, I, I guess, more farmers and more consumers would have better value. But at the same time, we're working incredibly hard on it. And if other people are uh, going to try and do the same thing, then we hope they're working just as hard as we are. Right. And how do you decide which farmers to work with? How have you made those connections? So the first connection that we made was via uh, a player on my basketball team, actually. Um, he had previously bought some meat directly from a farm. And this farm, uh, their name was is Lance and Karen Nielsen. They had been trying to sell meat directly to their consumers as well, but realized after about a year of doing it, that is the logistics and optimizing the selling of the meat and the marketing was incredibly taxing on um, 
on what they could actually accomplish because they still, at the end of the day, have to raise their animals. Um, and so I met with them and, and learned kind of the successes that they were having and as well as the kind of problems. And we shook hands there and made an agreement that I would basically full-time try and figure out how I could get their products and get their, their beef to more people. And uh, since then, I've been working extremely closely with Lance and Karen, been up to the farm and, and hung out with their kids and um, many times now, and really just learning and understanding the intricacies of the supply chain and the industry, especially from the farm through processing. Um, so that's been foundational, and I have to thank Lance and Karen a thousand times because without their kind of uh, patience and their teaching, I wouldn't be able to do or speak about what I'm here to speak about today. But then after that, uh, finding farms has purely been word of mouth. I've had um, a number of people, uh, whenever I, I'm in a room and people are asking me like, oh, what are you doing with this business? And I let them know, they often are like, hey, I have an uncle or my neighbor has a brother that's a farm farmer or, or or whoever and so it's honestly been super easy to find farmers that willing to kind of try and go this model because everyone it, it seems like everyone in Calgary has a connection to a farmer already it's just and, and some of them are getting produce or meat from those farms but it's often in an in inconvenient format so an example I would give for beef is that there's many farms that are right now uh, selling a whole uh, a side or a quarter of, uh, of an animal. And what that means is you could go and buy directly from the farm and get uh, at a maximum 500 pounds to a minimum of around 100 pounds of meat uh, at a great bulk rate. But the reality is most people aren't going to be able to have that connection then choose to make a purchase that big, potentially put a deposit down ahead of the growing season, get the um, actually go and pick up the, all the meat, and then have somewhere to store it because you would need at least a, a 10 cubic foot decrease for all of this. And so Bessie wants to kind of help these farms that are already doing really awesome work. They uh, are respecting a lot of the different QA and, and quality things that we're looking for and they want to connect to customers, but they're not able to do the marketing or to, I guess, divvy their product into a size that is accessible to people that like live in a condo on their own or have a, like a small duplex and live in Hillhurst or have a whole family, but maybe don't have access to a vehicle that they can drive out for two or three hours to a farm and then come back with 500 pounds of meat. So that's kind of where Bessie is trying to work is finding farms that really do want to engage with their end customer, meet a number of quality, um, minimum quality standards on the actual quality of the meat. So the meat has to be really tasty and high quality meat. And then how they treat their animals, animal welfare has to be, um, immaculate and then finally have an ecological approach to how they're actually raising those animals. And do you find that you have a couple that you've said no to or have you really just everyone you meet um, is running like high quality farms? Absolutely. So if I could say yes to every farm, that would be amazing, uh, but I can't. And so there's two reasons for that actually. The primary reason is actually a, a Bessie problem or a me problem is that uh, even though we're paying a premium for animals to farmers, if we don't have the volume to, I, I guess, buy multiple animals per month from a farm, then we're not able to really give them that much of a bonus. Because typically the profit margin on an animal at a farm is somewhere between $100 and $300 for a head of cattle uh, for the farmer. And that, that's their profit margin. So what Bessie is able to do is we, we're able to give them an extra 
hundred to two hundred dollars per animal, which it sounds great, but that would mean that you need to be giving a lot of volume to make a really substantial difference for a farmer. And Bessie isn't quite at the stage that we can give or promise a farm that we're going to buy 10 of your animals every month, where it would suddenly be a massive help to that farm. So I, we've had to say no to some farmers just because we're a bit too small to provide them meaningful volume that would help their business. But on the second side, which I think is more what you're asking, we have had to turn down a couple farms because their practices and their quality didn't quite meet what we were looking for. Uh, I would say the reason specifically was the, um, the size of the farm really matters. And, and so what I mean by the size of a farm is there's this idea of uh, a kind of an idyllic idea of what a small farm is versus a industry farm or an industrial farm. So an industrial farm, if you've seen a movie like Okja or something, it's big and evil and it's run like a factory and there's a lot of overcrowding and, and that stuff exists. And it's, those are farms that we're not working with at all. But on the other side of the small farm side, there's this kind of really, uh, I guess, lovey-dovey idea that families have four or five cows and they have 20 chickens and they have a couple goats and they can raise all of those effectively and that's the best way to farm. Um, and I would say that that is not fully accurate and it, it kind of broke my assumption because my initial assumption was I'm going to help those small farms that have five to 10 animals, help them find a way to raise those animals and sell them. But the, the issue when you go that small is that farmers are often doing that for a hobby basis. If their profit margin on an animal is only several hundred dollars and they only raise 10, 10 head of cattle, then they can't sustain a lifestyle off of, off of those animals. And either they're doing it for fun or, or potentially the quality of how those animals are raised, they're not built to deliver, let's say, an exceptional tenderloin or an exceptional ribeye. So finding the sweet spot of farmers that really know what they're doing, know how to treat animals right and raise them effectively so that they grow um, at an effective rate while grazing on, on pasture and then um, when they're finishing off of, off of barley from their field, if they don't have the competency to actually finish out an animal and deliver AAA grade meat, then it's really hard to, I guess, you provide that and sell it to a customer as a premium. And so I've had to say no to a couple farms because they didn't actually have the, I guess, full-time performance qualities that we're looking for in a rancher that can raise an animal to a high quality for taste um, because they were more on the hobby side. Right. That's all really interesting, actually. That's some things that I wouldn't have thought about, mostly because I don't talk about farmers or talk to farmers <laughs> um, about my food. But uh, I feel like it's important for people to know that. And when you've been doing all this and having these conversations, um, how did you learn all of this? Or has it just kind of been like, as you go, you pick up um, tips and knowledge and stuff? Uh, <laughs> I, I just read way too much. Uh, it's, it's incredibly nerdy. And it's probably a bit from like engineering and stuff, but I just like reading. I like talking to people that are interesting. Uh, I got really into like, well, I've, al I've always been really into listening to music. And I just straight emailed some radio stations when I was in university and asked if I could sit in on a radio show to kind of see how radio work. And so I've always been really passionate about the stuff that I, I, I love. And so whether it's music or food, I just want to learn more about it. And so when I had the opportunity to actually work with the narrative of like where food comes from and why we choose certain food over other foods, it was like, okay, I'm just going to open up Google. I'm going to talk to these people that I know grew up on farms. I'm going to go visit farms. I'm going to do everything I can to just learn and, and really listen just from everyone. 
And so there's honestly endless content, but the best way to learn for me has been going and, and touring the farm and not just doing like a farm kind of tourism, but really like sitting down and, and, and at a table and discussing the different things that are positives and negatives, talking to the children that are at the farm and understand what they like and they don't like on the chores and, and really kind of walking with and working with animals. Uh, I won't say that I actually was ranching or anything, but I was in and around and watching a work day and understanding what it actually meant from a physical space and not just from my computer, which would have been easiest. Um, and that was where I, I really learned the most. And then I did the same thing at, uh, at an abattoir or uh, it, it's a, another word for a butcher. So sitting at the butcher and really walking through all the different cuts and how animals are processed and absorbing that information from experts because um, it's impossible to pick that up. You can pick up all the details from online and from books, which I, I do still try to do. But being able to see it and touch things in person really makes a difference to being able to understand and, and then speak about it yourself. Wow. Yeah, that's super cool. Well, and it it's, goes back to anything kind of like school or anything you read that when you actually see it in real life, like some things are more applicable than other things. And then you get to really see it like in the works. Totally. Uh, and honestly, I'm still learning. So um, if anyone's listening to this and wants to chat or, or, or teach me something, I'm happy to, to catch up and, and listen. <laughs> and overall from your like research and talking to all these farmers and being involved in the food industry um what are some of the like biggest eye openers that you've had throughout the process with the food industry i think um the biggest thing that has surprised me or or not surprised but just wowed me is there is so many different ways that people engage with food and from the customer side, it's amazing because there's, and, and this is good, there's so many options, whether it's going to the grocery store or going to a restaurant or um, working with a CSA or like a community supported or community shared agriculture group or ordering in from Skip the Dishes or all these different apps and different I guess venues and businesses, they all do the same thing for the customer at the end of the day because the customer can eat food, which they need to live, and also maybe get a lot of enjoyment out of. But from the business side of things, food is absolutely insane. Like there is so many different people that are all doing very uh, unique or different things but to the end customer, it ends up being the same thing. It's what they're eating for that meal. And so if you're trying to advertise for your, I guess, distribution brand, the, I guess, granularity of what you're advertising for is going to blur lines with Skip the Dishes or Uber Eats or with um, some awesome local restaurants in town. And so, like, it to get the customer's attention or to get their eyeballs is actually really challenging, even because you're not just competing against people that do the exact same thing as you in food. You're competing against people or, or you're working alongside all these people that, that stretch the whole spectrum. And so it is really crowded. And part of that um, for a new entrant, whether they're a restaurant or a bar or a farm trying to actually go wholesale their product to a co-op Costco, it becomes incredibly difficult because we're in kind of a we're we're in a, a capitalist society that really rewards efficiency, and so for me to work with a small farm, which I'm doing, and I'm working really hard to to make this an opportunity, but working with a, a farm that has 80 head of cattle, and to be able to create a great product and then get it to a customer cheaper than uh, Cargill with uh, like thousands of head of cattle feedlot can then process that animal, move it through Maple Leaf Foods, put a label on it, and then get it to 
uh, law of laws and then distribute it to regions across all of Canada and someone goes and buys it and picks it up. If I am trying to compete with a small farm against Cargill and the might of these massive multinational companies who do awesome work, there's no way that we'll ever have the efficiency that that, that massive system has. And so the biggest eye-opener for me is how can someone that is a new entrant, whether you're a new business, a new restaurant, how can you come in without the economies of scale of someone that has been around for decades or has billions of dollars, but still get to the customer at their, at their dinner table and give them something that is priced roughly the same and, and hopefully differentiated. And so for me, that differentiation is a, like an absolute must because if the product isn't actually better, if it's the exact same as what's offered from the system, then there's no reason for a customer to ever go to, to that other, to my product because it, it'll be priced differently or it w just won't have the full amount of, of people working to make that happen. So that's the biggest thing for me from a, like a food industry aspect is smaller players and new, new entrants. They really have to do something creative and different if they want to even survive because it, it, it's ruthless and the, the profit margins on, on all things food are, are very small. Yeah, which makes, it makes sense when, like, when you say it like that, especially because most people, like you're different because you're doing all the research and like I've read books and there's people that are involved in like the organic food sector and like want to support people because they've met farmers or whatever. But for the most part, the majority of people just want to go to the grocery store and pick up food you know, and so you do have to like be able to reach the masses, um, like you're saying, which obviously the grocery stores and the big brands have. So you just have to figure out how to sneak your way in there. Totally. Um, and so we, I'm assuming we kind of understand what you're doing with Bessie, um, just based on this whole conversation, but, um, what's kind of like your end goal with Bessie as you move forward? I know you just started, but like, yeah, well, on the customer side, uh, we actually have probably got our end goal already. Um, not like, obviously we're not selling, uh, like millions and millions of, of dollars right now, but we're able to fulfill a product. Someone makes an order, um, for a product somewhere between five and 20 pounds of an order and we deliver it as soon as that day to within the week um to their door and the price point of it is competitive and for our best deals on the website better than costco so that was our like absolute target was how can we do this get something that is higher quality but at the same price as the existing options that are out there so we can beat costco's pricing right now as we i guess exist for calgary and, and area um, already. And so that's what we wanted to do for the customer because now it's just, this is an easy choice. It's the same price or it's a better price, but the quality of Bessie is, is higher and the convenience of having it delivered is better. And oh yeah, um, it's local. And I actually have a relationship with the farmer instead of with these kind of, um, brands with labeling behind it. So from a customer perspective, operationally, we've already hit our goal of being able to compete on price and actually get something in a convenient manner to a customer with the kind of same um, customer care that you would expect from something like Amazon, where you go on the website, you click order, and then it says, hey, your delivery is coming on Wednesday. So we're really happy there. But from the farmer side, uh, this is kind of where it gets a little bit more interesting and there's a lot more long-term things that we're working on. We, once again, I talk about volume and, and premiums for a farmer. So we're already paying the farmer a premium, but we want to increase their volume so that uh, if, if a farmer is raising, a, uh, let's make it easy, 100 head of cattle and they sell 20 to Bessie and they have to sell 80 through the existing system, 
then that's awesome. But how can we make that 20 that goes to Bessie? How can we move that to, let's say, 40 to Bessie? Or maybe all 100 of their animals they could sell through Bessie. And that means that we have to work to find different channels to get their product to market. So the existing channel that we've built is the direct-to-customer Bessie brand or through our website where people can go on and buy a small amount of meat and have it delivered. But then um, other things that, that me and uh, my team, Alex and Shanika and Homer, are working on is setting up wholesale agreements and this uh, and ex export agreements. So being able to export Alberta beef to other countries and then to being able to wholesale uh, our farmers' products right into existing grocery stores uh, and to restaurants. So those other channels can help increase our volume as our direct-to-customer channel is growing. And then for the farmer, what it means is we can just start taking more and more of their product and making sure that they get compensated for their, their efforts. Right. No, that's awesome. And what comes in a Bessie box? I don't know if you've actually specified. Um, is it just beef or what, what can someone expect if they order a box? Totally. So um, what Bessie does right now is just incredibly high quality beef. It's dry-aged for three weeks and it's vacuum sealed, frozen at the butcher and then delivered right to someone's door. So um, Everything is portioned out so that you can, if you're like a single uh, or a bachelor, then you can pull out one pound of ground beef or one steak and thaw it and cook it right then in the, that hour. Or if you're cooking for a whole family, you can pick the portions related to how many people you're cooking for right then. Within a box, how we manage things is we, we don't want to replicate a grocery experience where you have... Um, at some grocery stores, they have between 50 and 150,000 different items on the shelves, which is, um, it, it's, it's absolutely crazy. But uh, instead of trying to put a thousand items in our, in our website, we have just four at any time. So we have pre-made packages. So we have a classic package or a mix, and this includes several pounds of steak, it has a roast, it has a special cut like uh, some fast fry steaks or some stew meat, and then we also have ground beef in that package. And then our other items in the, in the store are a uh, rotating promotional package, which is more an entry level price point that someone that hasn't tried this meat can go and, and try a steak or a roast at a reduced cost as a first time customer. Um, and then we have uh, just add-ons for stuff like special cuts like brisket or marrow bones and soup bones and stuff that people are looking for that is maybe a bit harder to find. Um, so that's what we do right now is we offer kind of a selection of pre-built packages that people can order and then we drop it right at your door and we make sure that someone's home to accept it. So uh, I know there's a lot of concerns around how food uh, gets to someone's house and it, it's still safe and appropriate to eat. Um, but the, so the, I guess that opens up the question of where we want to go with the products is we would be adding products in the following months. It's uh, I'm not going to promise a date, but looking at other types of protein. So specifically uh, we are targeting pork, lamb and goat. Um, we're additionally, this is a, Similar, we have mapped out the process for a Halal Zabiha machine slaughter certification. So this is a, a certification that uh, Muslim people are looking for in their meat for uh, obvious non-pork products. So we would be looking at getting that certification for a line of our beef, as well as the goat and the lamb, so that we could be serving meat for those communities as well. So that is in the works. And then the last Longer term solution is we're looking into seafood and, and you might say, okay, Alberta, seafood, what are your options? That's why it's a bit longer term. We're trying to figure out what we can associate with a brand and how do we do something that's ethical, that's local or 
as best to local as we possibly can and maintain those values that we have for, for cattle and for beef, but for other products going forward. So we have some, um, I would say some of those we've mapped out whole plans and started connecting the dots on actually implementing them to stuff like seafood where we've kind of jotted our notes and we know where we're going and we have a couple contacts that have told us as soon as we're ready, we can start solving how we would actually do that for people. That's awesome. Uh, I That's a great plan ahead. And I think um, now is like a good time because I feel like the movement of ethical and organic food is on the horizon, um, like you've mentioned. So I feel like it's a good time to come in with this type of education and awareness and product. So that's awesome. I'm excited to see what you guys do with it. No, thanks. <laughs> I'm excited too. Every day is, is awesome for us right now. Yeah, no kidding. And um, is your whole team uh, located in Calgary? Is that where you guys are based out of? Yeah, there's, uh, there's three co-founders right now. So there's me, uh, there's Shanika, and uh, another named Alex. So we all kind of have different skill sets and overlap in interesting ways. But we're all in Calgary. We work out of uh, the R-Curve office, which is on 11th Ave and 8th Street, kind of near Mac and Safeway uh, in the Beltline. And uh, we have two interns, Homer and Paulo, and they're both uh, students at uh, University of Calgary. And so we're working on, with them on a specific technical project. Cool. And um, where can people order this, find more information, follow you on social media? What's all totally. Uh, if you just Google Bessie Box or BessieBox.com, uh, that's our website on Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, um, Facebook. It's at Get Bessie Box. Um, so that's G-E-T, uh, get Bessie, B-E-S-S-I-E, uh, box, B-O-X. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Um, it was super informative. And I think, I think we're both on the same page that people need to be more aware of where their food is coming. So I think this is a great, great start. Thanks. Really appreciate it. <laughs>